All right, good morning again. Glad to be here with you all today. Very, very thankful for uh, the service this morning. Every single time I hear Ring It Out, I think about the church that I grew up at. We did not sing any fast songs at all. And um, that one song was like, I'd be like, we're jamming this morning. But it was like not fast even then. So, but I always think about that church and um, just really good memories of that song. So I appreciate you, Tyrone. Always, always appreciate you. And, all, and also the, 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 same, the new songs. I really, really appreciate those. Uh, just again, like I've said time and time again, just the new verbiage, new words to think about praising God, always so important. Our songs inform that. You don't realize how much your, your, your songs, your liturgy really is informed by what you sing. Um, so very thankful for that. Uh, but today we're going to be back in, in Luke chapter 5. But just to recap last week, we talked about Simon being called by Jesus and how Simon was kind of in this middle period of things kind of going sideways for how he probably envisioned his life to go as to where Jesus is calling him to go, right? He says, I'm going to make you fish for men now, and things are going to be very different for Simon from that point forward. And we kind of looked at ourselves last week and asked the question, do I want Jesus to do this in my life? Do I actually want Jesus to disrupt my life in this way that Simon experiences that every apostle experienced, that almost everybody that we read about in Scripture that is encountered by Christ, their life has changed. Do we want that to happen in our lives? It's a big question. I hope that we are leaning more and more to the place where we might not necessarily want it for our own well-being, but we do want it for the kingdom of God. I, I hope that we're, we're going that way. I know that I am. I'm trying to lean that direction. So very thankful for last week and just checking in with Simon. Today we're going to stay in Luke chapter 5. Before we get there, I want to ask anybody... Do you need any help at all in your life? Any help whatsoever? Maybe? Okay, good. Sometimes this question is very, very encouraging. I know that sometimes when I walk into Walmart, uh, this is prior to the app being so helpful in telling you where things are, I could walk into Walmart or Home Depot or these massive, huge stores and not have any clue where to find the thing that I need. One time I tried to look for rubber bands. It took me 15 minutes in Walmart to find just rubber bands. But I was so thankful for that person who came up to me and said, hey, you look lost. Do you need any help? Yes, I need help because the moment that you help me is the moment that I can eventually leave this place and hopefully not come back for a little bit, right? The stressfulness. Hearing this question in that situation, very encouraging. But I will kind of just you know, venture to say that sometimes we don't love this question in our lives. Do you need any help with that? I got it. You know, it's one of those situations where I, I can picture myself, you know, underneath a sink or trying to fix something I have no clue how to fix in my house. And my wife says, do you need any help? And I said, I got it. YouTube has got this, right? I'm figuring it out. I thought, I thought of a particular example when I was a freshman at UCF. I actually took a summer semester uh, before my fall semester. And my parents helped me move in my dorm. They, you know, they did the mom and dad thing. Oh, we're going to miss you. See you later. Right? They helped me uh, uh, load into my dorm room, and it was great. Uh, so that was the summer semester, but I actually had to switch dorms from summer to fall. So I went home, took everything back, and then I, and I was going to move back in in the fall. I said, you know what, Mom and Dad? You already did the move-in thing. The ceremonial aspect, if it's gone, let me just take care of it. They said, fine with us. You go do your own thing. Uh, so I take my stuff, and I thought I was really smart. I actually still have this huge Rubbermaid container to this day. It's one of the massive Rubbermaid containers that are like this wide and like this deep, right, deep and wide, um, like that. And all my stuff went in there. 
And I thought that was really, really smart because all my stuff is in one place. What I didn't realize is that I was going to have to carry this to my dorm. So uh, I get to UCF, and believe it or not, it's more full during the fall than the summer, a thing that I also didn't account for. And I could not park anywhere near my dorm. I'm like a quarter mile away from my dorm, which isn't very far, but if it's August in Florida and you have to carry this like 700-pound thing, I don't know how much it was, but for scrawny, you know, 18-year-old Jimmy, it was a lot. And so I'm like, you know what? I got this. I take the Rubbermaid container out of my truck, and I start walking. I'm doing that thing where you're walking like this, and like your back's kind of out like that. And I probably looked awesome uh, doing that. Uh, <laughs> but I was sweating bullets. And if you've ever been on campus, sometimes they have teams where they go around and they help people move in. And so one of those people said, hey, what's up, freshman? Do you need any help today? And what did I say? No. <laughs> I, said, I said no. So I kept going, and I really hurt myself that day. I eventually got to my dorm. I'm like, I finally got here, and I realized I'm on the third floor, and there's no elevator. So I'm going up the stairs. And it, I eventually get to my place, and I said, I felt accomplished when I got back, but no, I really felt really stupid, right? Because that was a really dumb thing for me, to, for, for me to do, because if I actually just accepted the help, I would have been done so quick. I wouldn't have hurt myself. I wouldn't be, like, covered in sweat, like, sweat through two shirts, sweaty, right? It was bad. But that's the situation that I put myself into, where sometimes someone says, hey, do you need any help? And I said, no, I got this, when I don't really got this. Right? And I think as many of us would say, yes, I do need help, sometimes in some aspects of your life, you do not want to say yes to this question. Am I right? Yes. Absolutely. We have a really hard time accepting help in certain situations. I went on a very trusted website, Psychology Today. I have no idea. I, I looked at a lot of different things, and I asked this question, why is it hard for people to accept help from people? To accept help from others, even our loved ones in our life, why is it difficult to accept help from other people. And these are a few different things. This is kind of what most of the website says, but this is just a, a three things that, that they kind of came up with. We don't want to be a burden to other people. We don't want to be vulnerable with what we're going through. And we often make assumptions about other people, right? Thinking about being a burden, how many times have you said, I, I really need help with this, but I don't want to inconvenience that person, right? I need a ride to this thing, but I don't want to ask for help, even though they're coming this way. And even though they've said that they would help me in the past, I don't want to be a burden. You felt that way before? Yeah. We, I felt that. I, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to ask for help because then that person's going to think that I'm dumb. If I ask you for help, oh, I need help fixing this thing, they're going to say, what, you don't know how to fix that thing already? You must not be very smart. You're not as smart as me because I know how to do it. Right? We don't want to be vulnerable in that situation saying, I don't know how to do this thing. And often we make assumptions, oh, that person has better things to do than to care for little old me. Like, they, they don't, they don't want to really do that. They, they must you know, have much more important things to do, and they, they wouldn't really even want to help me even if they could, because you know? they, they don't think I'm a very good person. And we make all these different assumptions, and I think that kind of categorizes the first two things, is that we assume that we're going to be a burden. We assume that we are going to you know, inconvenience somebody. We assume that people think certain things about us, but often, more often than not, those things are not based in reality, right? I know that people have said that to me, oh, I, I didn't ask you because I didn't want to bother you. Please bother me, right? 
I get on to Leon all the time about this because he's like, I didn't want to come into your office and ask you this question because I didn't want to bother you. Please bother me. I love to be bothered, right? By certain people. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, I, now I'm going to put something in the back of your mind. He's talking about me. No, I'm just kidding. But it's one of those things where 99% of the time, all these things that we work up in our minds are not based in reality. They're things that we construct. They're things that we want to believe sometimes about the world around us. But what's so interesting is that um, when we get to this whole idea of helping people, I think everybody in this room would say, yes, we are called to help people, right? We are called to serve. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But if that is true, that also means that sometimes you have to be the person being helped. Does that make sense? If you believe that you are called to serve other people, more often than not, at some point in your life, you are going to have to be the one that is served, and that makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable for these reasons. It makes us uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. But if you believe that you are called to serve, you inherently have to be served at some point in your life in a good way, right? Served by other people. If we believe this to be true, by this, this is what Jesus is saying about loving each other, by this, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. If we believe this is true, you are deserving of love as well. You are deserving of being served as well, of being helped as well. If we believe this is true, and I think everybody in this room thinks this is true, right? Yes. I need a more resounding yes. If this is true, you also need help. Yes. So we're going to kind of stay in this, this spot. We're going to stay in Luke chapter 5. And Damien already read for us kind of this story, but I just, this is one of my favorite stories that happens in the New Testament. Right here in Luke chapter 5, this is where we pick up what's going on with the life and ministry of Jesus. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him in on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. This is incredible, right? This is an incredible story. The power of Jesus has become commonplace to the people to, to the point where they're, acting, they're, they're doing faithful acts of vandalism, right, to get in front of Jesus. They have to get in front of Jesus because they know that his power is so great. You know, the whole idea of, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, right? That's what's taking place here in a very, very radical way. Nothing can stop them from getting to Jesus. And then we get to this point in Luke chapter 5, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. He's overwhelmed by the things that's going on in front of him, right? He's overwhelmed by the faith of not only the paralyzed man, but the friends that brought him to see Jesus. To me, this is kind of this, like I said, this faithful act of vandalism, but really I think this boils down to this is what it's all about. When we help each other, this is what it looks like. I can kind of experience the delight of Jesus in this moment. I haven't seen all of the chosen, but I looked up this specific scene in particular, I encourage you to go do that when you get home. Very, very emotional scene. Very, very cool to kind of see the artistic rendering of how they're kind of portraying the scene, right? Recognizing, okay, that's not scripture, but it is a, is a rendering of, wow, what if that was like that, right? Very, very interesting. But you can almost experience the delight that Jesus is seeing 
when he sees this man lowered through this roof, the, the, the tiles coming down or whatever they might be, the straw that might be coming down. All the while, everyone's like, what is happening above us? And Jesus is saying, I know what's happening. Some faithful people are trying to come to me. People are trying to know and, and, and to see me. And, and we've talked about before how Jesus, through the Gospels, is kind of like this fulfillment of what Israel should have been like, right? And we have this fulfillment. He's doing all these things, and, he, and he's kind of doing what Israel should have been done, excuse me, should have been doing as the people of God. And I read this story, and I'm reminded of something else, and I, please just bear with me here as we go back to Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, the same, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is catching you, crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? So it's a familiar story, right? Abel's sacrifice is seen with favor in the eyes of God, and Cain's sacrifice, not so much. There's nothing that indicates that when we read this that God's about to smite Cain for his insufficient offering, right? It just seems that in this situation... Abel kind of excelled, whereas Cain did not. Right? I, I listened to a sermon a couple weeks ago, uh, Josh Graves preached about this, and I, I kind of agree with, I don't think that Cain is, is plotting to go kill his brother in this situation. I think that things get out of hand for Cain, and I think that he lets those like, inner workings of his brain take over. But nevertheless, we have this situation where Cain feels inadequate, and his sacrifice is not enough, so he takes the law into his own hands, and he does something that I'm sure he regrets in this moment. And of course, we have this question, where is your brother, right? Where's your brother Abel? Does God not know the answer to that question? He knows, right? And then Cain's response, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. If you love him so much, why don't you know where he is, God? If, if you don't love me so much, like... This seems like a bad question to be asking me, God. Am I my brother's keeper? And you feel this conflict. God isn't fooled. And, and eventually we get to the situation where Cain has to kind of pay for what he's done. But the Lord said to him, and this is when Cain's kind of like, someone's going to hurt me while I'm out, right? And, and God says this, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. What God is doing here is he's protecting Cain from other people. But what God is also doing is saying, whatever took place today, I'm going to take care of. The seal that I put on Cain, the justice that's going to be brought forth on Cain is going to be dealt with by me. Because this is my thing to kind of clean up in a way. This is my judgment that I have to take care with. What I'm seeing here is that the distance between God and man expands where there is no love. Right? Cain is sent away where he is 
kind of far off wandering, right? He's further and further away from where God wanted him to be. Why did he get in that place? Because there was no love between his brothers, between these two brothers. The absence of love creates the distance between us and God. So am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are, Cain. Yes, you are, everybody who's listening here. We are our brother's keeper. Where there is love, we are showing the people that we are disciples of Jesus. Where there is love, we're showing that God can actually infiltrate this world that we're living in today. Now, Luke 5 does not undo the fall of man, but what I see Luke 5 doing is kind of showing us a restoration that can take place where there is love present among God's people. We see the animosity between brothers drive a wedge that's pretty, pretty radical between them, right? And that there's this judgment that has to be placed on Cain. But when we get to Luke 5, the opposite is taking place, right? Where there was animosity between Cain and Abel, where there is a division, there is now a unification that only Jesus can bring to these people. When the people, they bring their friend to him, they are manifesting what God calls us to do, right? To love one another, they're, they're doing exactly what God has called them to do, to, to restore and to bring people before his feet. But even when we read this, we can read it that way and we can walk away saying, yes, we should love one another. But I think there's a whole other layer to the story that we haven't even gotten to yet. And what about the people? It, it is, what about the people who are caring for that man who's staying on that mat every single day? Right? I know everybody in this room, whether it's you or somebody close to you, has cared for somebody that's close to you or close to them. And you've seen them, you know, take them to doctor's appointments. You've seen them clean them up after they've had an accident. You've seen them mourn at funerals. You've seen them do all the things before that. And that before that time is very, very stressful. I was lucky to see my parents care for their mothers in this way. Right? My grandma, both of my grandmothers, as they got older and older, obviously their, their health declined. But my mom was always, my, my parents were there for both of these people, right? My grandmother battled Parkinson's for like 30 years or something. It was, it was a very, very long time. My entire life, I didn't know her without Parkinson's. And if, you, if you've known somebody with Parkinson's, towards the end it gets very, very difficult. She had a live-in nurse and she had full-time care and it was just as rapidly declining. But my dad was there every single day caring for my grandma. And it's one of those things where you don't want to be that person. And I don't think those people are saying, oh, pity me for having to care for this person. Because they would do it regardless, right? Because that love they have says, I am compelled to care for you. I have to care for you, not out of obligation, but because I love you so much. But there's a weight that that person carries. Every single day, you don't have to just think about yourself or your own nuclear family. You have to think about the other person that you're having to care for every single day, and it's hard. And when I see Jesus look at these friends and this person who's been paralyzed and is being lowered down from the ceiling, those are not rational acts on those people's behalf, right? It is not rational to go to someone's house and beat in the the roof to lower somebody down. If my son was sick and the urgent care was full, I don't think I'd do the same thing. I wouldn't go to the urgent care and say, I need to get in here now. But what I'm saying is that these people are almost desperate to get to Jesus. They're saying that this is the only way forward for our friend, and we have to get him here today because this is what has to happen. 
These caretakers are invested in what happens next to this person. And it's a really, really heavy burden, like I said. But what I find here is the most beautiful thing that Jesus says in this entire passage. I want you to, and it's not even really necessarily the back and forth he's having with the Pharisees. It's the gift that he grants these people in this moment. I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Do you realize the gift that he's giving everybody in this situation? That not only is this man able to get up and go home for the very first time probably ever, right? The, 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 the agency to go where he actually wants to go when he wants to go. To say, get up and go home. Not go get your friends to take you home. It's go home. And you can look up to the ceiling and you can see, I can see the joy on their faces when they say, he says, get up and go home. They're like, we don't have to carry our friend anymore like that. There's that relief the caretaker has in that moment to say, thank God that Jesus is taking care of this situation. The delight that, that, that Jesus has, because we have all of these, this history of this Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? And he's seeing these brothers keeping their friend, taking care of what needs to be taken care of, right? And they're doing it with love. They're doing it in a way that says we need to get him to Jesus because he is the only way forward for this man. He gives the man the gift to go home. He gives the caretakers the gift to not take him home as they go home. Now they can celebrate together. They can go on walks together without walking along with their friend. I can just imagine all the different series of events that are totally radically different because Jesus entered the equation. That's the reality for these people. And that's the reality for us as well. I I, I fully believe that. Jesus invites all parties, all of us, to find rest in his presence. As, as God had to take care of the judgment of Cain, he was the only one who could step in and say, I have to take care of this. So is Jesus in this situation saying, I am the only one who can take care of this. But where love divided man, love now brings man together, closer to God in this place. So the question remains, am I my brother's keeper? I hope we can all say yes to that. I hope we can all recognize that, yes, we are called to do this kind of stuff for each other. But I think the better question is how. That's an easy question to answer yes to. How is different. I think the first step is this. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Everybody, a lot of people know this, right? Even non-Christians know this. But when we realize that being our brother's keeper is this right here, realizing that may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven business. Right? Like I said before, and like I've said many times this morning, is that the disagreeable nature between Cain and Abel, that's a light way of saying it, the violence that took place, the disloyalty, the the, the animosity as they drove us away from God, love brings God's kingdom here on earth. When we do acts of love and we do acts of righteousness in the name of Jesus, we are allowing the kingdom to infiltrate through us in the things that we do and say. This is what it's all about. We are agents of peace. We are people who are instructed to do this on earth today. How do we do it? By loving each other. It sounds so simple, but it's not as simple as it is to say as it is to do, right? To realize that this kingdom business is on our shoulders 
is a big task, but that's what we're called to do. How do we do it? By showing love to one another. But then it gets back to this. That should say others. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. Allow other people. I, I felt it right. Okay. Allow other people to help you. We all agreed at the beginning. I tricked you again. We all agreed at the beginning that if we are called to serve one another, if we're called to love one another, inherently that means that we also have to be loved by other people. We need to allow people to help us. This, and I'm speaking uh, as someone who has a very difficult time doing this. I don't want to allow anybody to help me ever. I want to be seen as someone who knows stuff and has things figured out. I don't want people to have to step in and pick up after me. But guess what? That's my own junk. That's my own garbage. And everybody else has their own junk and their own garbage as well. But if we really want the kingdom of heaven to be here, on, to, to infiltrate this earth that we're living on today, we have to allow this to happen. I've heard people say, I didn't tell anybody I was in the hospital. I didn't tell anybody I was sick because I know nobody would show up. Well, that, that might have happened. And if it has happened to you, I'm very sorry. It's never my intention. It's never anybody at this church's intention to leave anybody out to dry like that. And I am making active efforts to try to be better personally. But if you don't tell anybody, we can't show up. But for some reason, if you don't tell anybody and nobody shows up, it's still our fault. Right? And I'm not saying that I'm going to be perfect. I'm not saying this church is going to be perfect. I'm going to continue to fail. But if you don't allow people to help you, they're not going to be able to help you. So we want to carry around this bitterness. We want to carry around this resentment. We don't want anybody to help, but we really do want people to help. But we don't want to think people think that we need to help. And we get this whole cycle of unhealthiness, and we're not allowing the kingdom to infiltrate this earth. Can we do that more? Can we allow ourselves to be worthy of love? Can we allow ourselves to be worthy of love from Jesus, but not only Jesus, but from each other? That's a big task. But I want to encourage you to allow people to do this for you in your life. Allow people to help. And I, and I get it. There are certain, I've definitely run into people that, that take advantage of that situation. And in those situations, you might say, not this time. Maybe next time. I get that. I don't want to talk about the irregularities or the exception to the rule, right? Because I think that kind of defeats the whole purpose. But when we seek these loving relationships, when we seek to serve one another and are authentically going forward and helping one another, we look a whole lot more like the first century church, right? Sharing with everything that we have, with everything with, with one another, everything that we do and everything that we're a part of because we love each other and we love Jesus and we receive the love from Jesus. Are we our brothers and sisters keepers? Absolutely. Let's go to God in prayer and continue this prayer together. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for giving us an opportunity to, to spend some time in your word this morning. But God, please challenge us this moment, this moment this morning, to allow love to be in our lives. Help us to love ourselves, to love each other, and to realize that if we want your kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven, we have to be about loving each other. Love draws people closer to each other and closer to you, God. Help us to do that more in our lives and the lives of other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs at all, if you're saying that I need help, please let us know.
I'm not saying that we're going to be able to move mountains. I'm not saying that we're going to be able to do everything that anybody ever asks of us. But I know that our church will always pray for you. Our church will always do what it can do to help you in whatever situation you're in. But we need to know. We can't read minds. <laughs> so if you have any needs, we will invite you to come forward or to talk to somebody in the back or to text or call somebody. But we encourage you to talk to somebody today while we stand and sing.